You are listening to the Over and Back podcast with Jason and RJ. And as always, we want you all to shut up and sit down. Hey, hey, NBA fans. Once again, welcome back to the Over and Back podcast for Sunday, March 17th, 2019. I am Jason Corbis, and with me is Mr. R.J. Benner. Hey, Jason. Hey, we are here to just bring you your weekly dose of uh, NBA news and other stories from around the world of sports and other things, which we will dive into later on in this episode. But uh, let's go ahead and get things kicked off talking about the Wild Wild West, huh? Uh, That's the um, Will Smith movie, correct, that we're going to be... Yeah, so. giant robots, spiders, and all that crap. Yeah, yeah, the ste- <laughs> steampunk Will Smith. Hey, first of all, happy St. Patrick's Day. Hey, happy St. Patrick's Day to you, too. I am so not Irish. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's also Selection Sunday. We record this podcast before Selection Sunday actually occurs, so don't listen to this and be like, wow, do they really hate on college basketball? Uh, we will have a very in-depth opinion of the limited amount of college basketball knowledge that we can uh, share with our listeners next Sunday. But for now, we're going to be focusing on uh, uh, kicking things off with the West Coast. Ooh. So, uh, Denver, one game behind Golden State. Yeah, they're making uh, a race of this thing. I I can't say if they're for real or not yet. They they do have a lot to prove. Uh, they don't have a lot of postseason experience, but uh, but they they've had a lot of big wins this this year, and it's going to be kind of interesting to see where they end up falling. Yeah, uh, so. When I was looking at this, I thought, you know, one of the topics, uh, you know, during the week, you, you brought this up on, on your radar, and I thought, that's not true, is it? Like, like we, have, we, we even talk about all the problems that we have with Golden State, but we still just assume it's Golden State and then everybody else. But, yeah, yeah. the more and more you look at it, some of the head-to-heads, especially the last 25 games, you know, the, the Warriors have lost ground, not just to Denver, who's only a game or two, a game and a half now, I think, uh, uh, out, but uh, Portland. Houston, they've all made strong moves. So your top four seeds right now are really scary. Yeah, well, and even towards the bottom of the conference, there's a lot of teams that are making some noise, too. So I, you can't even count out San Antonio, who's currently sitting in seven, but they rung off a lot of big wins, and they just beat Portland last night, too. So Yeah, so uh, I, th- I think when I'm looking at the seeding on the way this thing goes, um, like right now, six seven and eight they're they're all bouncing back and forth but pretty much the teams are set right like yeah um the teams that that uh that are that are going to be yeah, in the teams that are going to be in i think are in yep. we just don't know quite where they're going to fall yet yeah. as far as their seating yeah so you know that you got the big four you have golden state denver houston portland uh you have the thunder and then right now it's spurs at six uh jazz at seven clippers eight so let, let's say that this holds true they shake out exactly how they are right now I will do everything in my power to be the first seed or the third seed because I'm not going against the Utah Jazz in the very first round. Oh, no, absolutely not. With, with the kind of defenses they play, they would be a scary matchup for any of those top teams. So Yeah. So, uh, I mean, some of the some of the other matchups, Portland and, uh, and Oklahoma City in the first round. Or, yeah, yeah, Portland, it's, yeah it's either going to be Portland or Houston. Uh, and, and Oklahoma City in the first round. That's epic. Yeah, right? well, Portland, Oklahoma City, man, they, this is like some new rivalry mm-hmm. that is... It's not... A, I'm just going to say, it's not a new rivalry. <laughs> well, you know, it's... <laughs> For those who well, don't know... I'm, I'm not... <laughs> I, I'm a little location biased. It's, Oklahoma's a pretty far away from, away from Portland, but... <laughs> 
let's say it used to be closer. Yeah. Back when yeah. you know we that, were a little that, younger. Yeah, that was a little bit of P and W bad blood there <laughs> that uh, they got they got spoiled for us, but. Yeah, that's that's definitely always been back when it was the Sonics and the Blazers. That used to always be a heated matchup. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, you know, uh, it has kind of fallen away, um, and it's nice to see it kind of come back a little bit. Yeah, it's it's been great, especially with the point guard battle and everything that you see between Dame and Westbrook. Mm-hmm. It's it makes these matchups a lot of fun. And then you got wild cards like like CJ McCollum, who has shown, especially this week, that you know, if a team is hanging in there with Portland, he can just uh, turn it up a gear and take over games. And yeah. it's, it's been really impressive. Yeah. So, I mean, when I, when I look at this, I still think it's Golden State by um, by, by a mile as far as uh, chance, right? I, I still think that, you know, if I had to put money on it, Golden State is right. going to come out of the West. Portland, uh, I'm, I, you ask me this uh, before last year's playoffs, I'd be singing a different song. Or if they would have, uh, you know, went, even into the second round I'd be singing it but but yeah. to, to get yeah. punked out by a Pelicans their, their performance last year kind of left a lot to be desired and it left a lot of us kind of kind of wondering how far they can go but I do think you know another year with the same group of guys uh, that are having a, you know as good of a season as they are they're just growing together and they're they're becoming a tighter knit team mm-hmm. and that helps with the playoff runs yeah but last year hurt <laughs> yeah very much so yeah uh, so so let's play this out, right? So Golden State, we'll just, like I said, it's it's not changing the way it is right now. Golden State finishes number one. They go up against the Clippers. They have that. They have that in the bag. I think the Clippers are a fun team to watch because they still play team ball. There's not that's a five game series, uh, yeah. best case scenario. Uh, we look at um, the second round for them though. So now you're you're looking at that uh, the three six team coming out. So at that point you're talking um, Houston in the second round. If if I mean well. Should they not get past, let's say, maybe Spurs. Utah or the Spurs? Yeah, so in that case, it'd be the, either the winner of the Spurs, um, Houston, and I think Houston takes that. Uh, so now, I mean, now they have to face Houston in the second round. If they get past that, they're either dealing with uh, um, Portland or the Thunder, or if either one of those teams, right? So you have Portland, you have the Thunder, uh, or the, what's the other one, the, the uh, Denver Nuggets or the Jazz. None of those are easy. No, there's no easy knockout, really, in the Western Conference, and that's what's going to be kind of cool. You know, the first round, I mean, even even the Clippers. The Clippers are going to be a tough out because it's it's not like these guys. It should even be a five-game series. Mm-hmm. Each one of those five games is going to be a hard-fought battle mm-hmm. because those Clips are not going to give up, and it's going to it's going to actually really affect how they, they play in the second round because they can wear them out, and that can have a big effect, too. Yeah, no, no doubt. Hey, and a big shout-out to Doc Rivers. Uh, he accomplished a, a feat that no one else has accomplished in NBA history last week. What was that? Uh, both him and Jim Bolin, uh, coach of the Chicago Bulls, Got kicked out of the game at the exact same time. <laughs> Way to go! That's right. Way to go! Yeah, that was pretty fun. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So, I, I think the West is going to be interesting. Um, can the? I, I guess the two biggest questions coming into this: Can Houston be for real? Uh, what is is the Houston team going into the playoffs? Have they had enough time with all those new free agents that they brought in, those those pickups, those well, buyout players? I, I think that they can, and part of that reason is because those new pickups play the kind of defense that they were playing last year, mm-hmm. and that was that's what that was the big problem they had in the first half of the season was that they could have their offensive numbers, and that was there, 
but that defense that they had, that uh, hustling after the ball, getting mm-hmm. in passing lanes, getting out on fast breaks from getting steals, that wasn't there. And I think a lot of that gameplay has come back after the trade deadline. So I think uh, I think they could be for real. You know, they got those those guys they didn't bring in weren't unexperienced. Uh, you know, uh, nobodies. They they brought in guys that yeah. uh, that are vets and yeah. vets I, are gonna... I, I, K- Kenneth Fareed, man, that guy. Uh... That, I think he was the missing piece on the defensive side of the ball. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm, I'm all on board for that. Uh, one of the things I always say, uh, the biggest contributing factor to a team underperforming in the playoffs, you get away with it in the regular season, but come playoff time, if you have distractions, that's where you pay the price because you have to be so focused for those seven games, you know, four to seven games, depending on, on how long the, the, the series lasts. You have to be locked in. You can't just have these like off nights where you can kind of slough through the game and nobody's really going to notice all seven of those games matter one of the players i think might have the hardest time out of the west coming in with with all these distractions is russell westbrook so he had another incident what are we going to do about this young man you know he well uh, well, we're going to find him twenty five thousand dollars and say ouch that that i'm sure that really is going to teach him a lesson <laughs> uh if you guys don't know there was another fan incident with russell westbrook uh this time he yelled at a fan uh who yelled something that was inappropriate at him uh allegedly 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 you know at, at <laughs> so so, so so i'll clarify this one i i, I want to get this one out there so there's two different sides to this story right it's what the fan says and what russell westbrook says so Russell Westbrook hears the fans say, um, you go get on your knees like you're used to, and interprets that as a racial statement. Absolutely. Uh, The fan says, I said, go ice your knees on the bench like you, uh, go ice your knees on the bench like you usually do, or something along the the lines of that. Uh, Okay, that's probably not like... The most hardcore heckle I've ever heard. I but I, I would have to say, I'm sure the fan probably did say what Russell Westbrook said he said. Because, one, I don't see <laughs> Russell... Sounds like a Princess Bride thing that you're about <laughs> right. to go into I right do, there. I don't, <laughs> I don't see Westbrook too often with the, the big bags of ice on his knees. Right. Uh, however, what was said to him in retort by Russell Westbrook, I think, was even worse. And we hear so much about what it is that this fan said that was bad, mm-hmm, that was mm-hmm. a racial term, which wasn't really a racial term. More, I, I more of homophobic, you know, right? Yeah, it was a more yeah. of a homophobic kind of kind of. So nobody's putting that out there. It wasn't about race. If we want to break it down, which we're not going to do. Mm-hmm. It was more of a homophobic term. Yeah, my, my, my impression of it, anyways, my interpretation of it. <laughs> However, what Russell Westbrook said back to the fans, which nobody's talking about, and nobody's saying, it, it, apparently that's only worth a $25,000 fine, is that, you know, say that he was like, say it again, say it again, I'll F you up, I'll F you up and your wife. Yeah, and there's not anything that you can misinterpret on that. No, that was loud and clear threatening that he's going to assault a woman if he Mm -hmm. says it again right now twenty five thousand dollars might have been a big fine for that fan up in the seats Mm -hmm. but russell westbrook probably literally has that in his seats at his house that's one percent right you (laughs) go is it one percent or one tenth of a percent of what he makes i think it's one percent of it no one tenth tenth, yeah Yeah. one tenth of one tenth of a percent of what he makes so i'm not even going to do the math on what that would be for me, but I'm sure it would be like a candy bar. Right? I got find a candy bar. Uh, so we live in an era of Me Too. We live in an era uh, with women empowerment, right? Mm-hmm. So how is it that 
we put all the focus on what this fan said. And yeah, you're right. That was not um, an appropriate thing to say. Should he get kicked out? Yes. Should he get banned for life? Uh, I mean, a lot of fans have probably said a lot worse, but uh, you know, that that's a fight for another time. There's no disputing that that he said again. I get it. He's upset in that moment, and he's already on this run of you know what is this uh, three weeks after the last incident? Yeah. Which is you know this seems to be a much more common occurrence with Russell Westbrook now. Um, anyway, you, name another time. So Kareem Hunt is serving an eight-game suspension um, for for physically assaulting a woman, right, in the NFL. Um, Ray Rice's career was pretty much over. Right. Uh, and we're just going to ignore the fact that he threatened... I mean... Can, can, can we can we not do that? Can, can we call some attention to this? Well, in a world where everybody is guilty just for the things that they say, I'm a little bit surprised that that's the kind of penalty they thought was fair for the whole situation. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So... They can say they took action on it, but that kind of action will literally teach him nothing about saying that kind of things uh, to fans, much less female fans, that you're going to beat them up. Exactly. And, and now we have a bunch of NBA players rushing to his defense. Um, one of those players is, is the always outspoken Draymond Green, who uh, says this happens often. Fans get too close. They get too loud. They they hurl insults at these players. Um, and, and I'm not taking away that I, I know for a fact that racial things are said at games. I know for a fact homophobic things are said at games. Players are called every name uh, in the book. Except in Portland, for any of you NBA free agents that might listen to our podcast, the Portland Trailblazer fans are amazing. And uh, like Best crowd in the game. But yeah, the, the best crowd in the game. I was at a Blazers game, Dan Dickow was playing, and all I kept saying was, dang it, Dickow. And I got dirty looks from the crowd like, hey, man. He's trying hard. <laughs> Portland's great, NBA free agents. Except LeBron, you can stay where you are. So, please. <laughs> so, uh, Draymond Green comes out and he says, uh, this happens often. And then he says, you know, I don't understand why grown men go to these games and treat people doing their job like this. I guess they have to take out um, uh, all their frustrations and failures in life. Like, okay, Draymond. You're the guy who, who's been suspended and fined multiple times for doing the most inappropriate things involving male genitalia on the basketball court, getting in people's faces. Like, your job has basically been like the equivalent of a social media troll, No, but for the NBA. He, he was there for the longest time just to really kind of get under people's skin and piss them off. And it worked. It worked for a while, and then he lied about it. You know, uh, <laughs> you know when he was having the... Uh, what the nutcracker incidents, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. uh, he was just claiming that no, this is just the way that my body moves when I'm playing defense. because yeah, that's and natural, after, <laughs> right? And after the fifth time it happened, and they gave him a a warning saying this is going to happen if you know we have another one of these incidents. Surprisingly, it's been almost three years since he's mm -hmm. moved his body in that sort of way, yeah. accidentally to catch a player in the go betweens. Right, so, but yeah. but he's still got a bad attitude when it comes to. Um, Interactions with fans, and, and it seems yeah. to be, uh, you know, he he has, like I get it, like like fans go to this game to support their team, and the way they do it is they they yell and they scream and they holler. And I'm going to jump out of line on some of our topics because I think this is a perfect way to talk about. Um, oh, um, and by the way, Draymond too. If those guys are buying those seats that are near the court, 
they're probably not failures in life. Those are some pretty expensive <laughs> tickets. So shh. Right. So Draymond constantly talks, constantly, constantly in people's faces. You know, two years ago he he, he talked crap with a bunch of players on the Cavs. He always acted like oh, he had yeah. this rivalry with LeBron James. Now all of a sudden he's best friends with LeBron James apparently and signing oh. with with uh, clutch with, sports with clutch sports. Yeah, like so. I, I take, you know, and the only reason I'm segueing to a different topic is because at this point, Draymond Green makes me really mad. Russell Westbrook, shame on you. NBA, you need to do something. Uh, can, can we get a little attention towards the, the, the physical violent threat? Yes, but Draymond Green, this is hypocrisy, man. You you just open your mouth to, for the sole fact that you want to open your mouth in some cases yeah. because you talk crap about LeBron James, about his team. Your teammates talk crap about people playing with LeBron James, and then all of a sudden, the first chance you get to... Uh, to sign with a new agent coming into your free agency, what do you do? Right, you sign with Clutch Sports. And let's not, you know, uh, just get it confused with anything else. It, it means a lot to sign with this with this company because we know the history and we know that what LeBron likes to do with his guys, that he likes to, you know, uh, I don't want to say the, the, the tampering word, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, it, it is what it is. And... Who knows? Maybe we see these two together in the future somewhere down the line. Yeah, you know, he might be the only person that gets uh, uh, max money. The Lakers might be the only team willing to give him max money if they can't land land another person. So who knows? They'll be taking care of a... I don't even think the Lakers could give him max money after the way he's performed this season. Maybe if he got his three-point percentage up to where it used to be and, and his scoring yeah. and just his overall field goal percentage, with a year like he's had, his uh, his stock has dropped. So, so let me ask you this, Jason. Draymond talks about uh, his relationship with LeBron. LeBron did not tamper. LeBron had didn't sell him on the idea. It's just his relationship with LeBron and the way LeBron runs his business and does business. He wanted to be associated with that, so that's why he signed with Clutch Sports. What about uh, the way that LeBron James and Clutch Sports does business is attractive to you? Uh, not just as a fan, but put yourself as a professional. No, they've done, they've done a really good job of pissing off so many mm-hmm. old school agents and Owners. organizations yeah. all around the league because of the, the way they're doing business. And, and quite frankly, it's just detrimental. It's it's hurting the game. It's it's you know part of the reason why there is all of these these questions about uh, about tampering because these guys in the off season and in their time away from the game. They get together and plan, and they're really not supposed to have this kind of business. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be a hard road ahead because they're getting more popular, and they're just gonna keep signing these guys. And and well, I don't know, man. It's it's, it's a shame. I, I really cannot stand that the whole clutch sports kind of way of doing things. I think the NBA probably needs to intercede and they need to, uh, and they can't do it right now. Uh, I, I get it. They're, they're going to have to uh, take care of some, some, you know, uh, other fires before they can address this, but they need to be able to create a, a much firmer line between. Yeah, they, they've, they do a good job of walking the gray areas mm-hmm. in between the rules and then making it so things are going to have to shift because right now it's it's, it's being abused things. it really yeah. is being abused so um i want to apologize uh for the next topic to all of our listeners one of the things that we talked about last week in the week before is that we're tired of the laker bias we're tired of constantly talking about lebron which we've already done and we weren't going to do it anymore we were not going to talk about the lakers and se- unless something dramatic happened but jason we got to talk about the lakers <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm sorry. I, I think we do. Just a little bit. So, so they're bad. They're, they are really bad. And they're not bad like, ah, oh, man. They just... They just need they just need another piece or two. They're bad as in the thing they built around is not what he was. Nope. You know, we talked about him, you know, hitting that point where he's not going to be effective anymore in the next year or two. And I think it was this year. I think so. You know, he got his numbers, but the thing he was not able to do is make the players around him better. Mm-hmm. And that's you know, that's what LeBron James was. He was the guy that made everybody around him better. And now it's uh it's it's rough. Uh, here's some stats that should scare the living daylights out of you. Because I get it. LeBron James spends millions of dollars a year on his body, making sure that, that he stays in, in as good a shape as possible. There is no man uh, that has played in the NBA that has played, counting the playoffs. Now, now keep in mind, I'm counting the playoffs. There is no, there's nobody with more minutes on a body than LeBron James at this point. Uh, he's approaching uh, 49,000 minutes. Uh, for comparison, Kevin Durant, counting all the minutes he, he soaked up, just, just kind of mailing it in, 50,000. Um, you're looking at Robert Parrish as the, the best comparison for the amount of minutes. And Robert Parrish's game was predicated on a slow, uh, below-the-rim, uh, just, just, a, just half an old court. Yeah, half, uh, half court, old school big man who wasn't the focus. Like he wasn't even the third option on that Celtics team offensively and defensively. He got to he got to play rough, but he wasn't. No, he was a, the cleanup guy. In offense. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he wasn't like a, a like a like a force that had to pound um, up and down the court over and over again, getting in line, carrying the workload. And for and, all you Alfred Camino fans, Robert Parrish is the chief. I'm just gonna throw that. Out. <laughs> <laughs> Well done. So, so LeBron has so LeBron James is a Maserati with three hundred fifty thousand miles on his engine right now, and you're like, wow, it's really awesome that we have a Maserati. Just can we not drive it? Right. <laughs> Just leave it in the parking lot. You can drive it for twenty five minutes a game and no back to backs. Yeah. So G- Genie Bus, uh, Genie Bus has a Maserati in the parking lot, hoping people are going to be like, wow, I want to go over here because there's a Maserati, and then and then actually acquire talent. But if you're going to use LeBron James as the focal point of that offense. That is a scary predicament no, you're in. That's, Uncharted. That's a, that's a good analogy because the Maserati looks pretty nice from the outside. Then you get a little closer and you see all the cracks in the mm-hmm. leather, and mm-hmm. uh, apparently there's holes in the dash from something. And right. You know, stuff just isn't right inside. Mm-hmm. You know, I think uh, I think that's pretty spot on. Yeah, and I I think LeBron knows it too. Like the, the all those stories that were coming out of drinking wine, coming in and out through his injury. Like at this point, he's done. He's mailing it in. Because he he's not even like like he's mailing it in. He's 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 look. It looks like he's mailing it in because I don't think he can't mail it. He he can't do what's required. So it looks like he's just he's kind of backing it out and blaming it on this and blaming it on that. When really he's looking at this off season. He's gonna he's gonna film his Space Jam uh, uh, abomination. He's gonna he's he's gonna try to talk a couple people into coming and playing, and he's gonna get stuck with these same kids. Uh, can I bring something up to you, yeah. too, especially about this LeBron thing? Last week we brought up Jeff Van Gundy mm-hmm. and his comments in a game that got shut down real quick when he said well, if he was a GM, he would think about trading LeBron James and freeing up cap space. Mm-hmm. Apparently he wasn't so far off with this train of thought. So a story came out earlier this week, too, about Jeannie Buss had actually contemplated doing the exact same thing because of the fact that what LeBron James was doing to the team, to the organization, and to the locker room, mm-hmm. and uh, how toxic 
things have become between mm-hmm. the younger players and the vets and between you know, LeBron and everybody because nobody felt secure with their job. And the best way to heal things up sometimes is to cut out the cancer. Yeah. So, uh, so what do you think about that? So I'd say it's a little different. Jeff Van Gundy said uh, trade him and get like, like a legitimate strategic move. That is a disaster because there's not a free agent for the next 10 years that would ever sign with you. If you did that, it's the same reason why we like like we can't trade. If you're the Celtics, you couldn't trade Gordon Hayward. Uh huh. Hayward. 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 Uh, Brandon Hayward. Hay- no, Gordon no. Hayward. I just mean being the same way with just the thought of let's do something to get rid of LeBron. Right. So so Jeff and Gundy's using strategy for it, like hey, let's do this. I think that that sabotages it. If Jeannie Buss had gotten so upset that LeBron's camp did this and felt that it was actively. Um, uh, clutch sports. Yeah, like LeBron <laughs> with clutch sports violated NBA rules, tampered, made the organization look bad, and said, we don't want to do business with you anymore. Where would you like to go? I think that's a little different because at that point, there's going to be a lot of players, uh, I think a lot of players, that would look at that and say, I like where the Lakers are going. They're back to being the L.A. Lakers again. They're not going to take any crap. Yeah. So uh, you made a comparison when we were talking about should this make a list of things, and you call them Jordan's Wizards. Explain that. Uh, just in the sense of anticipation for what it could be. You know, LeBron uh, going there brought all this excitement. We have this uh, this guy coming in in his 16th year. Yeah, you know, he's towards probably the tail end. But he's got a group of these young guys, and I don't know if you remember that, that Wiz team. They had a lot of really good young pieces in Larry Hughes and Rip Hamilton. And mm-hmm. what's his name? Kwame Brown? Well, no. Small? Oh. Bre- Bre- Brendan. Oh, Brendan Haywood. <laughs> <laughs> you can actually use that name for getting yes. it correctly. <laughs> uh, you know, it was, a, it was a fun team to watch, and they they... Uh, they knew that there was potential in there, and you know what? Jordan decided to uh, kick off his dress shoes and throw back uh, on a pair of sneakers and get on the court. And mm-hmm. everybody was really excited that year, and it just it didn't end up panning out. They didn't make the playoffs. They were close, but they didn't quite make it. And uh, you know, Jordan took a lot of that blame on himself. He thought that you know he could have been enough to get him over the hump, and he wasn't. Mm-hmm. It's like LeBron thought that you know he could get this team at least into the playoffs and on the right track, developing these young players, and uh, it didn't pan out. Okay, here's the difference. That was a 40-win team. That Wizards team (laughs) won 40 games. Lakers won't touch 40. So that's a big difference right off the bat. Well, in the early 2000s, People didn't shut everybody down towards the end of the year either. That wasn't a thing. They would still have their guys on the court playing and playing the right amount of minutes. Hey, speaking of shutting things down, you know, we talked about Brandon Ingram with a little bit of disdain. It was either the last week or the week before about him getting shut down 20 games left right. in the season. Yeah, it wasn't disdain towards him. Yeah, but it, as it turns out, he actually has a really serious in- injury. A DVT in his upper body, in his shoulder, um, that is uh, related to some thoracic injury. Thoracic? Thoracic. Thor- Shoulder injury. There you go. He's the technical. There's worries that his trade value is completely gone now because he's going to have the same the same uh, injury worries that the Chris Boshes and the Milos Televiches uh, have had. Uh, blood clots. It's kind of like the that's the that's the the scary one of of all injuries. Blood clots. It used to be knees. Now it's blood clots. His are the Lakers stuck with Brandon Ingram 
uh, for the foreseeable future? Or do you think that enough people will say, no, this is related to a different kind of injury. Well, We're going to accept that he'll we, be okay. The blood clots are pretty serious, but we know that if it is a really serious shoulder problem, I think Orlando will pick him up. <laughs> so. yeah, I'll trade you a second-round pick for him. Uh, so, uh, moving from one major market team that can't seem to get their act together to another one. James Dolan uh, verbally uh, gets into a verbal altercation. I don't want to say verbally accost, but he gets into a verbal altercation no, with a fan. Again, he didn't say anything rude to the fan, but his actions were very inappropriate. Right, like he baited that fan. Uh-huh. Can we, can we, so you, if you've ever been, uh, well, I have never been, so I can't even say it like this, but if you've ever seen um, or heard the stories of New York Nick fan or New York fans in general, especially the New York Knicks, right? They're brutal. You're going oh, yeah. to have rough fans. You don't own the New York Knicks and, and expect them to be the Portland like, Trailblazer fans. We, are we kidding ourselves to try to even think that you know this this guy saying Dolan sell the team is the worst thing that came out of New York? <laughs> Like I think Isaiah no, Thomas's leadership like, is the worst thing that came out of New York. Well, no, I mean the worst thing said by a fan. Yeah, I mean, exactly. give me a break. Right? Just they will say worse things to the players they were cheering for five minutes ago. Mm-hmm. Like he's 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 out of touch. He has he has no clue. Right. He, he makes poor decisions not just with the basketball mm-hmm. operations, but w- with all of his interactions for for PR. Doing this to a fan, saying, hey, hold him. Hold him so we can find out who he is, so we can ban him. And now you can watch us on TV. You don't get to go to the games anymore. This guy has, like, that much effect on you that you're going to have to lord your right. power over some no, he, random fan? He's just an egomaniac. It's who, out of control. Who, he only did that because he could, and he wanted to make some little point about, you know. Do you, do you remember the Charles Oakley thing from a few years back? Oh, of he got, yeah, he got that to do was it ridiculous. With a, a legend of New York Knicks basketball fame. He, like anybody is going to be on Dolan's side when you mess with Oak. You know what I mean? So, so you brought up a good point when we were talking about this. Is it a problem with with James Dolan, or is it a problem with fans becoming owners? Well, I think uh, I think it's a big problem with with James Dolan. Yeah, he's. I think. I think having a guy, say like Mark Cuban, mm-hmm. who's a big fan of the game, who is such a, a positive. I mean, he has his, his controversies, mm-hmm. whether, whether it be you know political with the kind of things that he said in the media. But when it comes to regards of how he takes care of his team and how he appreciates those guys and how he loves the fans, you know, it's 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 a complete 180. And I think guys who actually love basketball and love the organization that they they choose to be a part of in that way. I think it makes a big difference to the product they put out and the way that the fans will actually treat them and the way they receive everything, you know? Mm-hmm. I think some of the greatest NBA ownership groups are um, fans of the game, mm-hmm. right? Not not egomaniacs. You know, Mark Cuban, there's a little bit of egomania, I'm sure, because well, he's a billionaire, but yeah. but he loves the game. Comes with the territory. Right? He loves the game, but he also loves... Um, you know, he wants to buy as many other, you know, he tried to buy a football team for a while too, and he, he kind of got shut down because he was so outspoken. But there's others like uh, the recently deceased Paul Allen. Mm-hmm. Love of the game, but even more so, love of the area. And That's I think, right. I think like Mark Cuban loves Dallas, and he wants to buy a team. In, in in the Texas market, the the Allens and the um, uh, the ownership group that, that's uh, in 
Yeah, they uh, love the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, right? they, they support and love the community. That's the problem is James Dolan doesn't care about New York. He cares about his TV network. He cares about his stadium. He cares. It's a business to him. How does he maximize himself in this business? And it's a. I think that's the shame is that he, he doesn't have any love for the community. He doesn't have any love for the city. He doesn't have any love for the team or the players. He just has love for James Dolan. Well, and that's part of the reason why it's so easy to make poor decisions as far as you know personnel goes for the team, too, because he doesn't care, and it's all about the Bucks. So. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so speaking of all about the Bucks, I'm going to spoil alert this. <laughs> well, I want to talk about Coach of the Year with you. Ooh, let's do that. All right. So I am uh, infatuated with the Toronto Raptors. I think they, they're great, right? I think Nick Nurse has done a, a fine job. Uh, not my coach of the year. Because that was a number Surprising. one seed. Surprising. That was a number one seed last year. They already were a winning organization. They already had uh, a really great foundation. They just didn't put it together uh, in the playoffs. The Bucks were a mess. The Bucks were a mess. They were a middling 500 team. James, uh, not James, sorry. Um, Jason. Aeson? Aeson. Aeson kid. Uh, couldn't coach him. The team just didn't understand it. Everybody wanted to be an alpha dog. There wasn't any harmony in that locker room. Now, all of a sudden, they're the number one seed, and they play beautiful basketball. Oh, absolutely. They uh, they have wonderful ball movement. Their offense, surprisingly, uh, revolving around a superstar that doesn't really have an outside shot yet, except for maybe you know this last month or two, he's actually been bringing that along, which has been kind of nice. But primarily, that's not the kind of player he is, yet they're still able to have that offense that doesn't completely revolve around the three-point shot. you know. And when it does, it's Giannis getting to the hole, making a play for himself or getting that shot. And he draws so much attention with the kind of physical specimen that mm -hmm. he is that uh, these these shooters that they do have, you know, Middleton, uh, Bledsoe, they're getting good looks and they're shooting better than they have for their career. So mm -hmm. Something I love about it, uh... Uh, Giannis as well. So, I mean, maybe Coach Bud gets a little bit of credit of this. I'm, I'm still tailing it on to the Coach of the Year conversation, though. Giannis doesn't seem, not in the locker room, but it doesn't seem like he causes the same amount of stress that other superstars cause their teammates. Mm -hmm. You remember LeBron James? Uh, he was a uh, he could He's a maestro. He could pass that ball to the open you guy. You know who Giannis reminds me of in the locker room? Shaq. Yeah. Because he acts like a big kid. Mm -hmm. He just wants to have a really good time. And I think that has been infectious for mm -hmm. these other guys. And it makes the other people play better, and they feel like they can take that shot. I don't think anybody that LeBron has ever played with, maybe Kyrie, maybe, well, Dwayne right. Wade probably, because that was still Dwayne's team in, right. in Miami. Nobody felt comfortable taking a shot. Like, they would get nervous. I better not miss. Right. And you knew, you well, <laughs> you know how much these guys... Uh, are loyal to each other, you know, because in the All-Star Draft, Giannis took Chris Middleton first in mm -hmm. the bench picks. Yeah. That, I mean, that's a show of solidarity yep. because there was just about everybody mm -hmm. that I would have taken on that roster over I took Chris Middleton. Right. No offense, Middleton's a really, really good, solid player, but, you know, not a lot of people even really considered him, you know, an all-star like it, he was Luke, pretty borderline there were some guys that could have got in Luca. yeah well, yeah, I was, West, so yeah don't, <laughs> still uh there were there were some guys that could have got in before middleton but Giannis still chose to choose him first and and that just shows you know, the other team solidarity that mm -hmm. they have over there yeah i love it he, he's kind of a throwback player when it comes to that kind of stuff too mm -hmm. uh so anyways your coach of the year <sighs> you know we talked about this uh and I was going to have a different answer. I was uh, 
but I'm gonna have to agree with you right now. Whew! You know? That never happens. Yeah, we were talking about it on Friday, and I thought, you know what? You make a pretty good point. The it's it's probably gonna be close to unanimous, man. Yeah. I mean our our uh they're they're doing some wonderful things over in Denver. They're uh there's a lot of teams that are coming on that are having really good seasons, but the, the kind of turnaround that Milwaukee's made to become an elite team and to, for us to even say right now do, that the Milwaukee Bucks are the number one team in the East right. in, right. in the middle of March are, I mean, those are mm-hmm. words I thought that I would never say. No, everybody said that's the borderline fourth seed at the beginning of the season. Although I called it, man, because I had my Milwaukee Bucks t-shirt in the eighth grade that everybody made fun of I, one day. You know, Jason, that, <laughs> you were just a big big dog fan. That's all it was. Glenn Robinson. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's what it was. Glenn Robinson and uh, Brad Lowhouse. Those two play together, right? I, I, I might be getting the years mixed up. <laughs> uh, man, so we're a basketball primarily. We're, we're primarily a basketball podcast. Sometimes we sprinkle in other stuff. If you only listen to us for basketball... I'd say for the next 10, 15 minutes, this is probably going to be the most boring podcast. But but a couple of things that we like to do is we like to talk about current events that are going on in either social media or just general culture. Uh, right now, the world is buzzing. So, yeah. From this Leaving Neverland documentary that came out. And you just watched it for the first time last night. I've been dealing with uh, actually seeing that for over a week now. And I gotta tell you, man, it was really hard to watch, especially as a guy who uh, who grew up probably wearing out my making of Thriller uh, VHS tape. I was one of the kids that had that. I absolutely, you know, loved the music. I was a, I was a pretty big fan. Even uh, my my youngest son was a big fan and dressed up as Michael Jackson for Halloween this year. Uh, I had a I couldn't really break his heart and tell him all the stuff that has been talked about in the last 20 years that has gone along with him. But, uh, you know, it's uh, something that he's heard about himself now, and it's uh, it's been actually kind of sad. Yeah, so... I I really didn't even think I needed to watch it. I wasn't gonna I wasn't gonna talk out of no, ignorance. It's not like we didn't all know. Right, you know, right. We're not, we're not dumb. But. Yeah. So I I mean, but this is the impact that it had on me. I I said, well, if we're gonna talk about it on the podcast, I don't want to just assume uh, and and just not have like the full understanding of it. So I want to take it in. What is it, like four hours worth of four television that, that I watched um, to just soak in. And and my preconceived notion going into this is I have always thought Michael Jackson was creepy. I always thought those allegations were true. Um, But watching that documentary, it made me very angry. It made me angry at the parents. It made me feel that, you know, again, if it's true, and I, I, I am fully in belief that it is, I just don't know if I can say it's true without being in trouble. So... I know that they're talking about suing Wade Robson and, and the, the the James Safe Chuck Safe Chuck um, the the Jackson Estate is so heaven forbid we blow up make it big somebody listens to our fifth podcast and says hey let's sue over and back I'm gonna stick to alleged <laughs> but if that's true the parents are just as bad in my in my eyes yeah. as as anybody else uh, 
I mean, it was. It's. It, I feel like they almost traded their kid for that. Like, like, how do you not know? I feel like to to expose a child to that environment repeatedly and not well, see the signs. The amount, the amount of what had to have been just interpersonal denial that these parents had. I mean, literally, the signs weren't just there. They were taking those signs and kind of beating them over the head with them, mm-hmm. and they were just allowing the same old stuff to continue to happen to these kids. And I. I, it was it was so hard to watch because I'm like I would I would have a hard time with like with you you're my you know like mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. hey I'm gonna be by myself this weekend do you mind if your kid stays the night with me right you know like right I'm I'm probably gonna say no yeah it followed with what the heck is wrong with him like keep your eyes open I, I would never in Amelia there was multiple times I saw that and I went okay like. To to think that any of this is okay when when they first talk about the story with the with the with the first kid that uh, James and they talk about how how playful Michael was and they always wanted yeah. he always wanted to do these things it was a little different than the rest of the stories because I feel like this was his exploration possibly because right. there's not an this earlier is... story this this was his exploration into uh, right. what became a very a very deep this was the origin story yeah so he learns all the best tricks and all the best things and then when wade uh robson starts speaking about his experience it sounded like that was a streamlined expedited experience uh-huh. like bam bam locked yeah, in bam because bam with james he had things you know there was there were steps that he took and with with wade he had said you know from the first night he stayed with michael mm-hmm. uh by himself that's that's what happened and oh. yeah and in each story uh uh, you know the, where they talked about the other kids being exposed and how he became on a cycle and it became the same thing and each kid kind of uh, aged out so to speak around the same the same time it was it was revolting and it was really crazy like again when you don't think about the details you don't hear about the details you're like Michael Jackson yeah we called him Wacko Jacko for a reason he was a yeah. creepy looking skeletor faced gross human being with child molestation allegations so yeah yeah of course people jump to those sort of conclusions and we assume that well obviously something's not right you know that's we're we're kidding ourselves if we wanted to say that you know aside from the fact that he never had a childhood and he wants to act it out now everything's completely normal because that would be ignorant uh, in our thoughts you know Mm -hmm. what i mean like it would be it would be crazy for us to assume that 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 all intentions were innocent. Right. Yeah. So I, again, I'm just watching how, uh, I guess how masterful he became at the abuse and the manipulation and how, uh, well, and how he moved from kid to kid mm -hmm. and those kids knowing that they were being replaced by somebody else still, loved him in that way and they still had that infatuation to i mean they said you know flat out you know we were completely in love with him mm-hmm. there was nothing that they wouldn't have done and even to um the, the part that threw me was the fact that you know when they had their 2005 trial when wade testified uh, and he said that no abuse took place you know he explained that by saying hey look in uh when i even when i was 22 years old you know, uh, the relationship that we had, the way that it was, you know, he still didn't view that in his eyes as abuse. Uh, and with how well that they were groomed, to me, people think that that's crazy. You're an adult, you wouldn't know. But, you know, I have somebody really close to me in my life who dealt with this kind of abuse, and you don't. Yeah. You know, you are so well trained. And, you know, it went on 
especially when it's that many years. And it was seven years for Wade on this show. The person mm-hmm. that I know dealt with it for, I want to say, say six to eight. And it's, it's, it's really, uh, when you see these things through their eyes and you understand, and they're sitting there watching it saying, you know what? I, uh, all of this stuff is really, really familiar. I, you know, yeah. it, it's uh, it's hard to not take what they said seriously in this documentary. Right. You know, I um, I feel like um, I can I can uh, really any any of the listeners here's a little inside uh, insight on me. I feel like at times I can be a human lie detector, even if it's pre-recorded. I can just watch mannerisms and instantly feel like, wow, this person is lying through their teeth. You know, a really good example is again, my thoughts are really clear. I'm on the uh, uh, MJ is a, uh, a guilty side of this whole thing. Always have been, but uh, that, doc, that there was a 60 minutes right where the the, the, maid. the maid right that maid lied through her teeth. Yeah. Now I'm not saying she didn't see things, but the things that she was saying was clearly a lie, and you could tell by the mannerisms. You could tell by the way that they acted. When when um, both James and Wade were speaking in this documentary, that was as raw and authentic as that's not a performance. Right. Like that's 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 not no, a performance. And if at it all. was, you know, the Academy is going to be giving them an award because right because the, I mean the, what you saw and anybody who hasn't watched it, I definitely recommend. Um, Bef- if, before it, you just completely dismiss everything, you don't know until you watch it. Yeah, I definitely recommend. Don't just do what I did and assume that what what there is um, out there already is enough. I, I think it will teach you a little bit more about the inside of what what really happened because you know one of the things I didn't really understand going into it was um, the the length of support or the, the the amount of support that he got from these kids throughout you know I, I didn't really understand that right uh, that documentary really did paint a picture of how like how crazy the the entire thing is also keep in mind my final thoughts on this and it will always be the overwhelming thought because of course Michael Jackson is dead uh, the parents should be ashamed of themselves and please 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 for the love of god can we have um our court systems review um term not term limits but uh uh, statute statute of limitations for these kind of offenses please can we get can we get federal mandates that make this something that can be sought after because you know what if something happens to you when you're seven or 12 years old and by the time you're 19 20 21 22 and you can finally work these things out i mean these kids basically you know they were free to go uh but it was like stockholm syndrome Mm -hmm. they loved him they were they were gonna be uh, on his side through all of this with the way that they were groomed and the way that they were uh, the way they trained. Yeah. They were trained. And yeah, they really need to do something about laws against these kind of crimes. Yeah, I think removing the statute of limitations. Um, you know, there's no statute on murder and some other some other capital right. crimes. They need to review uh, the same thing with... Uh, well, I think criminals like would this. agree because uh, in jail, they kill people for this. They don't right? kill people who go in there for murder. Yeah. They, they think that this is a worse crime. So why isn't the... Uh, the law is heavier when it comes to crimes like this. Yeah, you know, I, I think uh, um, I, 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 this will be the again. I'm, uh, this will be the, my, my final take on it. And if you if you want to add anything else, you know, more than more than open for it. Um, 60, oh, we'll, just end, we'll just end it with this because because I really do. This is going to be a long podcast, but I really do want to talk about something I think is is coming to um, slowly coming to an end. We talk about LeBron's slow decline, but the rest of his draft is set to retire. 
So we have Kyle Corver and uh, um, uh, Doug West. No, not Doug West. I'm sorry. Kyle Corver uh, is set to retire. Thank you. And Dwayne Wade is getting set to retire, uh, which puts an end to the 2003 draft class sans LeBron James. Yeah, you know, they've. uh, This is one of the most heralded classes in history. Yes. Uh, There's so many. So many really solid All Stars, champions, and whatnot that came out of this this particular draft class, and it's actually sad to see the curtain closing on on this because we really haven't had a draft class this good since 2003. You know, we've had some pretty uh, some pretty good high selections, but as far as going clear down through the first round, I mean, there's so many really, really, really solid players here. Yeah, I think that um, uh, when you look at it. Not just in like how good it, how good was it at the two thousands or or you know you compare it to to recent drafts. Historically, you can compare this to some of the all time best drafts there are. Right, mm-hmm. um, I, I, there was nine all stars uh, that have that that came out of the two thousand three draft, which is second most all time. Uh, trivia question: Do you know what draft had the most all stars of all time? Who? Do we want to say, was it 84? No, actually, 84 had, had even less. Uh, most All-Stars, 1996 NBA draft. Oh, 96. Yeah, which turned out to be, uh, when you look at timeline, you have to have the argument that the 96 draft had probably the best talent overall. Right. Uh, the 2003 draft is the, is the so you have like the 84. I think the 84 had the best talent at the top, but a really bad uh, depth problem. Right. I think 96 had great top talent and a, a decent amount of depth uh, throughout. But I think that very few drafts, uh, if, if, if any, had that level of, of amazing top talent and just talent all the way through. And, and you know, I, I just want to give a shout out to some of the names that people have forgotten over the yeah, years that were actually there. really fun. Uh, uh, I'll go with some of the ones that I really enjoyed watching. I'm going to do that with 2003 after you're done here. No, that's what I'm doing. 2003. Oh, 2003? Yes, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm oh, on I 2003. You were ta- I thought you were talking about uh, the 96 class. Thing. Oh, no. We have all off season to, to reminisce about some of our greatest things. The second so, round for the 2003 draft is what's kind of surprising to me. A lot of mm-hmm. these names, a lot of these guys were around for quite a while. Okay. Fire them away. So uh, one of my personal favorites, at number 38, we have Steve Blake. Ooh. Yeah, maybe he was a blazer. Steve Blake was a blazer twice. <laughs> uh, a great outside shooter. We have Willie Green, a, really, uh, a pretty solid swingman off the bench a lot of his career. We have uh, good old Jaja clobbering people for apparently mm-hmm. the last 16 years. Mm-hmm. Matt Bonner, mm-hmm. Mo Williams, mm-hmm. James Jones. Yep. Uh, One of my favorites, <laughs> Kyle Korver. That's right. Uh, uh, I really liked him on that '70s show, but to be able to transition from acting to the NBA was amazing. It's pretty astonishing. And then we have the coach of the Lakers, Luke Walton, mm-hmm. and then sharpshooter from your uh, boys up in Toronto. Oh, are you gonna say it, Jason Capono? Oh, Jason Capono, quite possibly the most entertaining three-point shooter of the last 15 years. Because, like, I don't know. I don't know. Though it was just something. Maybe it was his, his name. shot was so smooth. Yeah. It was so effortless. But one of my personal favorites on this list, and it was pretty heartbreaking, and this is uh, you know, maybe part of the reason why weed is such a big deal in sports, is Josh Howard. Mm, what happened Josh to Josh Howard. Howard? Josh Howard had an issue with substance abuse and oh. could never... Uh, could never kick it to let his full potential kind of come through. And if you guys don't know who Josh Howard was, uh, 
he was a very, very, very promising rookie for the Dallas Mavericks. Mm -hmm. He he had an amazing outside shot. He had handles. He could take the ball to the hole. He had such a fantastic and at an early age an all around game and was right there like in his second season. Like he's like mm -hmm. borderline all star. Mm -hmm. This guy is going to be going places. And I, if I'm wrong, I think his career only lasted like five years. Yeah, it was pretty short. Something like that. Yeah. And yeah, that was a bummer because I really had high hopes for him. Yeah. So something I think that's really entertaining about this draft is there's a lot of leaders, and you can't say yeah. that, but you look at you look at some of these some of the people, uh, especially later in the draft, they were your locker room leaders back. When, not even like like I'm a I'm a veteran and you bring me right. in to, to yeah, say some got positive Big things. Perk right there too. Yeah. Kendrick Perkins, that guy was a leader of the Celtics locker room when they were good. Right, he wasn't the leader. But he was a leader, and then mm -hmm. uh, you know, testaments how many well, other to the teams. end of his career, people were bringing him yep. in just for to be a locker room guy, and yep. that, that says a lot. Yeah. Especially, we need this guy. He's not going to see any time on the floor, but we need him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're, we're going to waste a, ro a, a roster spot because this guy is going to keep everybody uh, focused, motivated. Uh, you know, another one on here, underrated, uh, Boris Diaw. Oh man, Boris Diaw. Yeah, I, I swear if this guy was ever in tip-top shape, he could have been, like, top five in the league. Yeah. I remember yeah. there was – Popovich had some really crazy Diaw stories. He had a deal with him, too. And he – Boris Diaw was a guy who, I think in this, with the Spurs, he always had a weight clause in his mm -hmm. contract, too. And that was one thing, I guess, to keep him motivated. But, but Greg Popovich was always really good about uh, uh, getting the best out of some of these guys who, uh, again, he – he had a rough time uh, even making teams at that point. I think when he got to the Spurs, he just got done with a pretty failed time over uh, playing for the Hornets, mm. and things just didn't kind of work out. And we thought this was like the tail end of his career. And, you know, he ends up winning a title in San Antonio, and uh, mm -hmm. uh, he was a big, big part of that championship team. He had a high IQ, high he basketball IQ. He was one of IQ. the smartest players, one of the best passing big men. If he was even... He wasn't really that tall. He wouldn't even really be a big man, except for he was a pretty stout individual. Mm -hmm. So crazy wingspan too, if I remember correctly. That was one of his. Didn't he have like a, a unusually long arms? Uh, wasn't I'm not, that? I'm not, I don't think that was him. That wasn't him. I could have swore that he had a he had a crazy wingspan. Um, so some other ones: Nick Collison, who got uh, his jersey retired with the, the team formerly known as the Sonics. Really? Yeah. Yeah, he got his jersey retired. Uh, so he was one of those locker room guys, though. He didn't he didn't get his jersey retired because of like amazing yeah. talent, but he really was just that that strong locker room presence. Uh, some other ones that kind of flamed out, people that I really missed on. So there was a young gentleman. He went to Milwaukee. He came out of Texas. T.J. Ford. Oh. Man, he was a water bug. Do you remember how he fast was so he was? Fast. Oh man, watching him in college, but he, I thought he was. He was going to be the next it for little uh, mm -hmm. little point guards around the league, man. Yeah, because well, we were still we were still high on on those Allen Iverson style players, right. and he he kind of fit that mold where nobody was going to get. Um, oh, nobody could stay in front of him. Yeah, it was crazy. You know, De'Aaron Fox, uh, let it be a warning: don't don't fall on your tailbone, because you will never recover. Uh, those who don't know, T.J. Ford ended up having a, a spinal injury that they found out there was some narrowing after his injury. Uh, limited his career, lost his speed, lost. You know, he never had a great jumper to begin with. And he was kind of undersized. Never really came out. Uh, came out past that. Any of these other, uh, any other players jumping out at you? Yeah, uh, I'm gonna go with Travis Outlaw. Travis Outlaw played for the Blazers for a few years and was a really good oh, wing man. player. Decent outside shot. He was really, really long, fast, and athletic. And 
he ended up getting moved to the Magic. I want to. Who did he end up going to? I don't to? think it was the Magic. Yeah, I don't remember. And then after he left Portland, he just kind of fell off the face of the earth for me. Yeah, you know. Well, maybe it was Orlando then, because that's what they say. That's Nobody what, goes that's to Orlando. That's what happens over there, right? <laughs> you just, it's, it's a you know, happiest place on earth, apparently. And you lose focus. Marcus Banks, <laughs> he, uh, wasn't he a mighty duck? I no. no, I have no idea what <laughs> just, you're talking about, man. Uh, Luke Rittenauer, again, being a, an Oregonian, Luke Rittenauer was always that, uh, you know. Queet, uh, Queet, yeah. Yeah, actually playing golf here just a few miles away every mm-hmm. now and then. Yep. Uh, can we also talk about the number two pick a little bit? Number two pick? The number two pick. You you mean the legend himself? Darko Milicic? Milicic? Mil- if you learned anything from learning to pronounce Doncic. You know what? Hopefully our, our listeners have, have been conditioned to the fact that I'm going to screw people's names up every single episode. Yeah, just ask a former Rockets swingman. <laughs> All right. So, so Darko, you know, the Pistons had this second pick. And Darko wasn't on anybody's radar. He came in, he had a couple of really good workouts. He's this... 6'11 guy who had pretty decent handles for for a center. He could shoot the ball like crazy, and he showed a lot of potential. And for for whatever reason, people thought that that would be better, though, than selecting Carmelo Anthony or Bosch or Wade. And I I can understand a little bit about why. Uh, Detroit went with him, especially to to just kind of fill a spot they needed in the middle. But overall, it wasn't even going to be a good fit with the style of game that they were going for mm-hmm. going into that season with the personnel that they had. They had a big guy that could shoot from the outside. Mm-hmm. They would have been fine. It was a, it was an unnecessary roster spot, and it could have been filled with a guy who could score the ball from the wing. Literally, the Pistons could have had Carmelo Anthony running their three instead of Tayshaun Prince. Can you even imagine what that team might have looked like? Um, Disharmony. Forced trade. Disruption. Oh, I'm sorry, that was Denver. That's that's 14 14 years down the road. No, I was thinking of of Denver. So Maybe he would have had a better attitude if he won. Yeah, maybe. Maybe if he wouldn't have got uh, stuck with George Carl at the end of George Carl's coaching career, where he was grumpy and refusing to to actually work with players. So Darko being picked was kind of like this, uh, we have a stacked team. This guy has great potential. We're buying into this overseas hype. Let's draft him. And let him sit behind some some legends of the game. Now there were stories that came out for us. Rasheed Wallace was the biggest cheerleader for Darko, saying that Darko in practice was the best player he ever deed up on. He couldn't stop him. He was the he was just the most amazing player. But for some reason, when it came to the game, Darko shrank and 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 did not play. Wait, wait where did he end up going after Detroit? Who? Darko. Uh, Orlando. <laughs> Jeez, you know. I think I think we're onto something, man. They just need to lose their team. So I see why they draft him, right? If if he comes in and um, he does that, uh, you know, the the uh, the tryouts or whatever that's called when they bring a player and they check him out and they, they do the, the workouts. Rolls, the workouts, thank you, the workouts. And he he amazes and he 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 posts up and schools one of the biggest big men in the game, in Rasheed Wallace. And you're amazed. You're like, wow, we don't need this kid for another ten or three years, probably. 
imagine him spending two or three years with one of the greatest coaches in the game that we thought at the time, which was Larry Brown. And, and then and then Howard Hanson would sit behind Rasheed Wallace, Tayshawn Prince, Rip Hamilton, these like really good uh, uh, Chauncey Billups, these really good people that can teach him how to play. And I, I blame Larry Brown for this. Larry Brown destroyed any chance of Darko having any confidence. He would check into the game, do one thing wrong, he'd get the quick hook because Larry Brown just didn't tolerate. I think, um, you know, when, when we look at this, we didn't know Dwayne Wade was Dwayne Wade, right? We didn't know Chris Bosh was going to be as good as Chris Bosh was. Um, Carmelo is the only one that you could go into saying, what the heck were you thinking? Because there was a conversation like Carmelo should be the number one if it wasn't for LeBron, and people were kind of shocked. Right. You know, there was even talk of Carmelo being number one. You know, yeah. Carmelo was really, really upset himself. No one let, thinking, well, thinking that, mm -hmm. like, you know, you're picking the best player in the draft at number three. I don't mm -hmm. understand what, what you guys are thinking. So. Yep. So, um, one one last piece for me on the 2003 draft that I think is is priceless. Um, Cleveland was in the middle of a really bad season. They were being accused of tanking, right? They thought, hey, if we can get LeBron, home, homegrown kid. Do you remember what Darius Miles said when they asked him about LeBron James potentially coming? Do you remember this interview? No. He said... Yeah, we already got that position field here. We're good. <laughs> well, he can just, you know, knock his fists on Shout his out to Darius away. Miles, whose career ended prematurely twice. Uh, and LeBron James is, is still ruining franchises in, in L.A. So that's it for the uh, for, for some of the talking points I had. I think I think this draft is, is I mean, it, it's from from the from the first pick to the third to last pick. You found all stars. You have team leaders and great guys. You know, when when we talked about team leaders, we completely skipped over Kyle Korver. Yeah, yeah. he's a great locker room guy. Always has been. Yeah, that, again, that's why he's in Utah right now. Mm -hmm. Utah wanted him back for that specific reason. Yep. They needed that veteran presence in there that can kind of get these guys to to to. You know, buy in, yep. buy into making this playoff push. You know, he's a proven champ now, and uh, and he got them to because Utah spent a lot of this year struggling, and since they made that trade, Utah has been one of the better teams in the West. Yep, absolutely. You know, and Luke Walton, head coach of the Lakers, and James Jones, uh, uh, vice president of operations for the Phoenix Suns. I mean, where? Find me another draft with as, as much range and depth as the 2003 draft, and I'd like to dedicate another 15 minutes to talk about them as well. Right. Oh, been a long podcast, my friend. It actually has. we got to speed this up, and there's only one way I know how to speed up our podcast. Jason, are you ready for what I like to call the slam it? This is this is the ode to to Shaq Diesel's 19, or Shaquille O'Neal's Shaq Diesel 1993 album, where he asks, "Do you want me to shoot it?" And they scream, "No!" no. Do you want me to pass it? No. Do you want me to slam it? Yeah. So we're gonna rapidly fire a bunch of topics out. Jason, I want you to I want you to pass if you don't want to talk about it. Shoot if you want to just uh, take a shot, take a stab at it, or if you have a, a strong feeling and you want to you want to slam that down, I want you to slam it. The first topic, Lou Williams. Um, sixth man extraordinaire sets the all-time record for most bench scoring. Uh, let's go ahead and pass it. Pass Lou it. Williams, shout out, congratulations! It isn't a good accomplishment, but Jamal Crawford, best sixth man of all time. Yeah, pass. if you want to get hype on this podcast, be a starter. Serge Ibaka, <laughs> <laughs> Serge Ibaka, uh, man. So 
listeners, uh, sometimes autocorrect is the worst thing that could possibly happen. <laughs> On my notes, I wrote Abaka's fight with Chris. C H R. I-S-S, and it auto-corrects it, so I'm going to read it exactly how my notes say it. Uh, Jason, do you want to talk about Serge Ibaka's fight with Christ? <laughs> well, his own personal <laughs> struggle might be his own personal <laughs> struggle. No, uh, let me know when he actually hits somebody. Pass. Oh, <laughs> all right. Holy smokes. All right. So, uh, last week, uh, during a really struggling game, uh, or I'm sorry, during a, during a really tough game where the, the Golden State Warriors were struggling against the Phoenix Suns, Steve Kerr is caught on camera talking to an assistant coach, cursing about uh, Draymond Green, calling him words that are uh, uh, too inappropriate for our podcast listeners. Do you want to do you want to talk about this one? You want to shoot, pass, or slam? Well, we've already uh, talked about what's wrong with Draymond Green and why Kerr is probably tired of that. So let's go ahead and pass it on to the next one. All right. So I can't I can't let this game go. There was multiple aspects of it. So the next topic. Clay Thompson, who is Mr. Professional, he doesn't say a bad thing about players, about coaches, about fans. He always is articulate, well-spoken, and never frustrated. He even, kept bang- even, even when everybody made fun of him for trying to clay. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he, he was at the postgame after the Suns defeated the Warriors, and he would kept banging his hand on the podium talking about how he the, the Warriors need the fans to get up and hype for them, and it felt like an away game, and, and you know this is one of the last games at Oracle, and they were really counting on the fans to step up. He then, of course, tweets an apology. Do you want to pass this? Do you want to shoot, or do you want to slam? Dude, let's shoot this. Uh, Clay did not need to apologize, and that really ticked me off when he did. Mm-hmm. Of course you need the fans to cheer. You know, that you have a home court advantage. Those fans cheering is the advantage. You want them to actually seem like they're into the game. You know what? You guys have brought them championship after championship. And then I understand the kind of clientele they have in the front seats over there that maybe have a lot of other things maybe going on in their lives besides watching this basketball game. But then don't come to the game. You know what I mean? If you don't want to cheer for your home team and you want to be right there by the court, don't come to the game if you're not going to cheer for the team. He didn't need to apologize, and the fact that he did, it just tells me where we're at these days. We're like, he's so worried about you know, hurting somebody's feelings, expressing his own feelings about it, mm-hmm. that he has to apologize. and you know. So I have a, I have a different take on this, uh, twofold. First of all, you you could tell he was frustrated. He was yeah. mad that they lost, and yeah, he he realized that the fans weren't behind them. First of all, it's the Suns. You're not you're not going to get super amped up against them playing the Suns. Uh, but that's not even my biggest point right here. And I, I'm I'm with you on that. He probably shouldn't have tweeted an apology. He didn't do anything out of bounds. He just said, "Hey, what the heck? Why don't you get behind us a little bit more and cheer?" I think that was perfectly above board and fine. But Clay, two things: you're going to San Francisco next year. And you're the hottest team in basketball. Get used to this. This is called fair weather fans. Mm-hmm. You fill your stadium or in your arena with a bunch of people who just want to bandwagon jump and get on the hottest thing, and your ticket prices go up. And when you increase the cost of ticket prices, what do you lose? You lose diehards. Yes, you lose the real fans, and you get the prima donnas who want to show up and say, hey, guess where I was, and tweet was, their little selfies. Yeah, well, look for her on IG. Check it out. Yep. <laughs> That's what you get. And it's only going to get worse leaving Oakland, which is, is like, diehard fan uh, capital of, of California, and moving it to San Francisco, which is, which I mean, you might as well be in Miami at that point when it comes to fair weather fans, right? Right. So get used to it, buddy, unless you're going to move to a different team. I do know that there could be some sign-and-trades. Portland could use a third shooter. So, 
We talked about the 03 draft coming to kind of an end with only one player left. The 98 draft is coming to an end. Uh, <laughs> with the exception of one man, the immortal Vince Carter has said that he's going to come back for one more season. Do you want to shoot it, pass it, or slam? Let's shoot it, but real quick. A nice yeah. little quick floater. I'm so <laughs> I'm so happy he's back. Are you? You know, now I'm just holding out for Dirk to make it one more. That one would hurt. If Dirk, <laughs> if Dirk doesn't retire, the whole league is no. going to just be uncomfortable. It, it's really cool that Vince is coming back. Vince is in teacher mode. Yep. He's having a really good time in his role that he's taken in this league as a mentor to some of these young guys. And the young guys are really, really taken to, taken to him. They are you know, soaking in what knowledge he has to give them. And and I think if so long as he keeps that role and the fact that, you know, I'm sorry, it's, it is a little bit different from some of these other guys. Vince is still athletic. Mm-hmm. You know, Vince is still hanging in the air, getting hit and getting shots in. and He could have dunked that. I'm just saying he could have dunked <laughs> oh, it. Oh, he wanted to. Ah. But he, uh, you know, and he still got that sweet outside shot, which is mm-hmm. just getting better with age, you yeah. know? And so, you know, good for him. Good for him. Maybe yeah. he'll be older than Tree Rollins by the time he retires. Player coach, man. Yeah. Vince could be the one that does it. Hey, the only thing I have to add to that is good for you for not doing this uh, in the ring chase mode, right? You're going to teams where you're tutoring, you're, you're spending the time tutoring young players on how to play the game right, rather than just trying to get that piece yeah. of hardware before your career it, is over. It's a role that is probably just more fulfilling as a basketball player, instead of you know these kind of attempts at a desperate ring that you're not even really all that responsible for. Yep. You know what I mean? But when he sees these kids' futures and maybe they get rings, he has a little bit of peace in that, and that's mm-hmm. kind of cool. Yeah, and he, he'll be an ambassador for these players for the next 20 years, too, I'm sure. So, uh, as you guys know, the NBA has become a sellout league when it comes to sponsorships on the jerseys. Uh, the last team, uh, the Age of Innocence, is gone. Oklahoma City Thunder signed with Loves to be their jersey sponsor. You want to shoot it, pass it, or slam it? Loves the gas station or loves the diaper? The gas station. Oh, well... With the cry we're hearing it as somebody, I wasn't quite sure. Let's pass. <laughs> All right. Uh, Kevin Durant recently went on The Boardroom, uh, which is an ESPN Plus uh, video uh, series that they have. And they talked about his burner accounts. And he said he did it to be normal and anonymous with his friends, to be able to talk and experience life without constant criticism from the Bleacher Reports and the investigative stuff. Um Do you want to pass, shoot, or slam this topic? Uh, Let's shoot. Uh, KD, if you want to have a normal life, retire. You You don't have a normal life. You are a superstar in the NBA, and that comes with certain things. And I'm sorry. You know what? You're going to have to adjust without basically lying to people. You know, it's it's a dishonest thing. You know, if you wanna if you wanna talk to people as yourself on those social networks, that's cool. If you wanna feel normal, hang out with your family and friends and people that actually know you and love you. Don't do this thing where you're kind of trolling and going under the radar and mm-hmm. and say that any of that is normal because it's not. So here's my take on it, right? Very close to yours, but I'm gonna add one more caveat. Uh, do you know how uh, I personally know and, and how you know and how the rest of the world knows about these burner accounts? It's not because you were using them in anonymity, talking to your friends and posting pictures and having a good time. It's because you were on your main account <laughs> using these to support your statements and to, to be a troll to people that didn't like you or weren't being nice to you. you, you this isn't your an- anonymous account. It's your my feelings were too hurt account. Grow up. And don't try to change the narrative after the fact. Yeah. I don't like Katie, by the way, everybody. 
All right, what's the next one? The last one, and this is the newest edition. This happened last night. Shout out Chris Weber. <laughs> Pelicans were in a tough game. Came down to the wire. 1.1 seconds left. Tie game. Coach Alvin Gentry calls a timeout that they didn't have. Technical free throws later. Pelicans lose the game. You want to pass? Shoot or slam? Uh, let's just go ahead and pass this one for now. It's sad. It wasn't a championship game, though. So. I think it did. I think it's just another sign Alvin Gentry is on his way out. And ladies and gentlemen, so are we. Jason, thank you for taking the time as always. And to our listeners. Hey, it's been another great week. Thank you for listening. And hit us up on our email addresses uh, and our Facebook page. So we will actually maybe have links up to those on our Facebook page. So Yeah, if you check out our Facebook page, which is over and back, O-V-E-R-N-B-A-C-K, you'll be able to see the links to our iTunes, our Google Play, and, of course, our Spotify. And, again, over and back at gmail.com. Get your questions on air. Peace. All right, have a great week, guys.